Have your Bibles this morning and open up to the Gospel of Mark. We will continue on in our series plotting through this great story about Jesus and his mission. And this morning our text is Mark chapter 6 and we'll be reading from verse 45 through verse 52. If you don't have a Bible with you this morning, you can grab one from the chair in front of you and you can find this passage on page 842. Let's give our attention now to the word of God. Mark chapter 6, starting in verse 45. Immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side, to Bethsaida, while he dismissed the crowd. And after he had taken leave of them, he went up on the mountain to pray. And when evening came, the boat was out on the sea, and he was alone on the land. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, for the wind was against them. And about the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. He meant to pass by them, but when they saw him walking on the sea, they thought it was a ghost and cried out, for they all saw him and were terrified. But immediately he spoke to them and said, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid." And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astonished. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we come this morning confessing that we need your word. By your word, you created all that exists. You spoke, and there was land. You spoke, and there was animals. You spoke, and then there was man. We confess by your word, all things continue to exist. The book of Hebrews says he upholds all things by the word of his power. And we confess our spiritual lives are dependent upon your word. Man does not live by bread alone, but every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And so, Father, we come this morning asking you to open wide our eyes, that you would give us hearing once again, that we would feast upon your word. And, Father, as we look into Mark chapter 6, this story that we have heard in Sunday school of Jesus walking upon the water, we pray that you would open up our eyes to see the glory of Jesus, and that as we behold his glory, we would be transformed from one degree of glory to another, that beholding him, we would be changed, that our hearts would be edified, that our souls would be made glad that we would learn to hate sin all the more, that we would put to, death de- the, put to death the deeds of the flesh. And, oh, Father, as we look into your word, we confess that we are utterly dependent upon your spirit. If your spirit is not at work this morning upon me, and if it's not at work, and if your spirit is not at work in our hearts, This will be a dead message. 
So, Father, we pray, send forth your spirit once again. May we be able to say, oh, God was with us today. And God was working within us today. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we're back in the story of Mark, and we have been out of Mark for the last three weeks, and we might be forgetting what the Gospel of Mark is all about or where we're at in this great story. And so the Gospel of Mark is about the Gospel of God. And this announcement of the Gospel rings out loud and clear in every story, every saying, every scene that Mark carefully compiles and then sets before us. And Mark desires that we would know one great fact as we read this story that he puts before us, and it's this. The time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is at hand. And what Mark is saying when he announces this news to us is that God's reign, the reign of God so eagerly anticipated in the Old Testament, has finally arrived. And as we move throughout the story that Mark teaches, he tells us that the salvation of God has finally been realized. That peace between God and sinful man has has finally drawn near, and that a time of great grace is actually present. And we can ask Mark this morning, well, what is this salvation? What is this peace? What is this grace? What is this gospel that you speak of and that that you preach of? And we have to be clear this morning, this gospel is not something philosophical or something abstract. It's not a piece of legislation. It's not a piece of technology. This salvation, this peace, this gospel is summed up succinctly in chapter 1, verse 1 of Mark's gospel. He says this, the beginning of the gospel, the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And what Mark is saying is the good news is the arrival of Jesus Christ himself. And in Christ, we see this good news tangibly realized. In Christ, we see the the reign and the tyranny of Satan subjected and overthrown. Jesus, the mighty one, enters into the house of Satan, and he plunders his goods, taking at will whatever he wants, whenever he wants. And in Christ, we see a guilty and sinful people forgiven. Jesus speaks of his mission of grace. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners. In Christ, we see the broken, the the unclean, the defiled, made whole once again, made healthy. Jesus heals a leper and he speaks to that man saying, I will be clean. Jesus comes and he speaks to the woman with the flow of blood and says, your faith has made you well. Your faith has saved you. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. In Christ, we see the tender compassion and mercy of God. In Christ, we are persuaded that the steadfast love of the Lord has not grown cold towards his people. Mark records this glorious scene of Jesus. He says, when Jesus went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And this morning, we need to focus in on one particular thread in Mark's story, Jesus and his disciples. And as Mark unveils this story of good news about Jesus, we find that integral to Jesus' mission is a formation of a new people. 
Jesus calls 12 men from the nation of Israel to himself with the purpose that they might be with him and, that, that, and then that he might send them out to preach the good news of the gospel. In chapter 3, we learn the exact names of these 12 men. And as we read this story about Jesus and his disciples, we become acquainted with their character. We find out that there's really nothing special about these 12 men. Many of them are just fishermen, common fishermen, while others come from from less, less gainful employment, like tax collectors. And while we can say that these 12 men were not special, we can say that this relationship that they shared with Jesus was an unparalleled blessing. They got to be with Jesus. They experienced his friendship intimately and personally. They each tasted of his love and compassion. And not only did they get to be with Jesus, but they themselves received the secret of the kingdom. They received Jesus' private and careful instruction. And they watched firsthand Jesus' demonstrations of, of power of the kingdom. They were there when Jesus healed the sick. They were there when Jesus cast out demons. They were in the boat when Jesus calmed the storm. They tasted the bread that Jesus multiplied. Their bellies were full of the fish that Jesus multiplied. And even more, these men, these 12 men, had the privilege to share in the ministry of Jesus. They went out preaching the kingdom of God, and they even shared in the power of the kingdom of God as Jesus' representatives. They cast out demons, and they healed the sick. But it's here in this relationship between Jesus and his disciples that we encounter a problem. And it's here in this relationship between Jesus and his disciples that we come to our, our text this morning. After Jesus appears to his disciples walking on the water, Mark records these troubling words in chapter 6, verse 51. He says this, And Jesus got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased, and they were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And we have to let these words sink into our ears this morning. They did not understand, but their hearts were hardened. And what we see in the story that Mark is telling us, what we see in our text this morning is that there's this radical disparity. On the one hand, here are Jesus' men, men called and handpicked by Jesus, men who walked and slept and ate with Jesus, men who were commissioned by Jesus and received the teaching of Jesus. But yet on the other hand, These same men stand before Jesus utterly astonished, utterly confused by what Jesus is doing. They stand before Jesus without any understanding of what he is doing. And even worse, they stand before Jesus with hard and calloused hearts. And this disparity we see in this story that Mark is telling us, and this disparity we see in the very lives of Jesus' disciples, raises a host of questions in our minds. And we're going to structure the sermon this morning around three of these questions. The first question is this. What is it that the disciples misunderstand about Jesus? The second question we'll ask is, why don't the disciples understand? And the third question, what will happen to these men? 
And so we can begin this morning by looking at our first question. What is it that the disciples do not get about Jesus? And as we look into our text this morning, we have to admit that there are many confusing elements to this story. Why would Jesus send his disciples across the sea and then stay there by himself? Jesus' desires that he would be with his disciples. Why would Jesus walk on water? Even more, why would Jesus desire to pass by his disciples? And as we try to place ourselves in the shoes of the disciples this morning, as we try to place ourselves in this boat with these men, we need to pinpoint what exactly they don't understand in this story. Because if we answer this question wrongly, we will miss out on the whole point of this passage. Even worse, we will miss out on the gospel this morning. And because there are so many confusing elements to this story, we have to separate the wheat from the chaff. The point of misunderstanding with the disciples is not how Jesus can walk on the water or how Jesus overcame the forces of gravity or how he manipulated the rules of physics, nor is the question how Jesus could yet again calm the sea. Rather, the point of misunderstanding is the issue of identity, the very issue of who is this Jesus? And a broad reading of the Gospel of Mark should confirm this for us. We have been studying Mark for quite a while, and this is the issue that keeps coming to the surface. Throughout this story that Mark tells us, the different characters we meet struggle and they wrestle with the very question of, who is this Jesus before me? We can go back to the story of when Jesus casts out the unclean spirit in the synagogue. The crowd sees what Jesus does, and they cry out saying, what is this? And this crowd in the synagogue is left to grapple with the question, who is this Jesus? After Jesus calms the storm in chapter 4, the disciples cry out saying, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? And these men are left there in the boat to struggle with and grapple with, who is this Jesus before us? After hearing Jesus' mighty deeds around Galilee, Jesus' hometown of Nazareth responds saying, Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joses and Judas and Simon? And so these neighbors of Jesus, these friends of Jesus, hear all that Jesus has done and they're left there grappling with this question, Who is this Jesus? And so we come to Mark chapter 6, Jesus walks across the sea, and yet again the disciples are co confronted with this very question, who is this Jesus who walks upon the waters? And we find out that these disciples are still ignorant of Jesus, that they still do not understand him. And so we've clarified the issue of our first question, the issue of misunderstanding. They don't get who Jesus is. They don't get Jesus' identity. But we have to press further into this text. What exactly about Jesus' identity do these men misunderstand? What is, what is it exactly about Jesus that this text reveals and that we need to get into our own hearts? And Mark gives us three clues this morning that we need to take notice of. And the first clue is found in verse 48. Mark records these words. Look there with me. Mark says, and about the fourth watch of the night, Jesus came to them walking on the sea. 
and as able interpreters of the word of God, we can clearly say this is not a normal event. People don't walk on the sea. We know from our own experience, people swim in water or they sink in water, but people do not walk on water. But what does this text, what does this strange scene reveal about Jesus? Well, Mark expects that we would have read the Old Testament and that we would have read the Old Testament well. He would expect that we would have Job chapter 9 verse 8 stuck away in the back of our minds. And Job 9 8 says this, God alone stretched out the heavens and trampled the waves of the sea. And Mark expects that we would have sung the Psalms. Psalm 77 verse 19 says this about the Lord. Your way, O Lord, was through the sea, your path through the great waters, yet your footprints were unseen. And Mark has a second clue for us, and that clue is found in Jesus' intention. Why does Jesus walk on the water? What is Jesus trying to accomplish in doing this mighty feat? Well, the answer is found at the end of verse 48. Mark records this. Jesus meant to pass by them, or we could say Jesus desired to pass by them. And this strikes us as odd. Here are Jesus' men. They're struggling painfully on the sea. They're rowing hard against the waves, but they're not making any progress. Their muscles are aching, and the wind is pushing them back. Why would Jesus want to go by them? Why would Jesus desire to to pass them by? Wouldn't he want to, to be with them, then help them? This seems rather strange. But again, Mark expects that we would know our Old Testament history and that we would know our Old Testament well. In the book of Exodus, we hear about another scene when the Lord God himself desires to pass by somebody. And in the book of Exodus, Moses is in conversation with the Lord, and this is an intense conversation. Moses cries out to the Lord. He says this, show me your glory. And how does the Lord reveal his glory? Well, we find an answer in Exodus chapter 33, verses 21 through 22. The Lord passes by Moses. The text reads, And the Lord said, Behold, there is a place by me where you shall stand on the rock. And while my glory passes by, I will put you in a cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. And this brings us to a third clue. Here are the disciples. They're rowing hard on the sea. They're working hard, and they look out, and there's a strange figure walking on the water. Is this some sort of ghost? They question to themselves, and they're terrified, and they cry out in fear. But Jesus responds to these terrified men in verse 15. He says this, Take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Now, when we look at verse 50, we have to say this. This is not a casual greeting from Jesus to the guys. Hey, guys, don't worry. It's just me, Jesus, your pal. Remember me. Sadly, our English translations neuter the force of Jesus' words, and we can retranslate verse 50 like this. Take heart. I am. Do not be afraid. And when we do this, when we retranslate this, we find that Jesus is consciously picking up the name of the Lord from the Old Testament. Jesus applies to himself the very name revealed to Moses in the burning bush. 
I am who I am. Jesus declares to his disciples the very name that the Lord declared to Moses as he passed by. Yahweh, Yahweh, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. And so what are we to do with all of these clues this morning? We have the raw data of the scriptures before us. And we must take into account all the texts we have walked through. We must take into account Job 9, Psalm 77, Exodus 33, and we have to reason from these texts. Mark is inviting us to reason about the identity of Jesus. And our reasoning must go like this. Jesus does what the God of Israel does. He walks upon the sea. Jesus reveals himself as the God of Israel reveals himself. He desires to pass by his disciples and reveal his divine glory to them. Jesus speaks of himself and names himself as as the God of Israel speaks of himself and names himself. Jesus says, I am who I am. And in light of all of these connections, we are brought to the grand conclusion that Jesus and the God of Israel are one. That this Jesus before us is is truly divine. And Mark is leading us to a full-fold confession of Jesus' identity. Jesus is truly the Son of God in the fullest meaning of those words. But here we have to tread carefully. For the passage that Mark has put before us, all of these clues that he places into our hands are not intended to be a math equation. This text is not simply an exercise of connecting the dots between the Old Testament and the New Testament. This story is not just a bland demonstration of Jesus' divinity. It is more. By placing the clues before us, Mark calls us to behold God in Christ, our Savior, our Redeemer, our Rescuer. And through these powerful clues, Mark preaches to our hearts. He is saying this, here is the Savior that you need. The God who drew near and rescued Israel from slavery. The God who parted the Red Sea and trampled over Pharaoh and his armies. The God who drew near to Moses and revealed his divine glory, saying, A God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, has arrived in the person of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And Mark is preaching to us, if we can hear him, here is your Savior. A Savior who has promised to ransom your soul from sin. A Savior who has come to destroy the works of the devil on your behalf. A Savior who has promised to rescue you from death itself. And what Mark reveals and what the disciples misunderstand is that Jesus is the God of rescue and redemption. And the story shouts good news to us. The God of the Exodus has arrived in the person of Jesus and he is about to work the greatest rescue yet. So we've answered our first question. The disciples don't get who Jesus is. The God of rescue and redemption. And this leads us to ask a second important question. Why is it that the disciples don't understand who Jesus is? Why don't they get it? And again, we have to separate the wheat from the chaff. The disciples' lack of understanding was not due to an intellectual problem, as if these men had a a learning disability. We have to understand that these men would have known the book of Job, that they would have grown up singing the Psalms, even Psalm 77. They would have heard the Exodus story every year around the Passover. 
Nor was the disciples' lack of understanding due to their senses. These men saw Jesus walking on the water with their own eyes. These men heard Jesus' words, I am who I am, with their own ears. Even more, they felt with their whole bodies the peace and calm of the sea when Jesus entered into the boat with them. And so what kept these men from understanding Jesus' identity? Well, Mark brings the matter into focus in verses 51 and 52. He says this about the disciples. They were utterly astounded, for they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. What Mark is doing in these two verses is, is he's working like a careful physician. He's not content just to, to just look at the presenting symptoms and just to treat the presenting symptoms, but he wants to probe and find out the underlying ailment. He wants to probe and find the disease root that is causing this reaction among these men. And so Mark reports to us that these men were astounded, meaning that these men were confused and they were bewildered about what they saw and what they heard Jesus doing. And we can ask, why were these men confused? Why, didn't they, why, why were they astounded by what Jesus was doing? And Mark peels a layer back. These men were confused because they didn't understand the meaning of Jesus' miracles and works. They were, they were astounded because they didn't understand the multiplication of the loaves. They didn't understand Jesus walking on the water. They didn't understand Jesus' words to them. We can ask Mark, well, why don't the disciples understand the works and the mighty deeds of Jesus? And Mark finally appeals a last layer back. He brings us to the heart of the problem. He says this, they did not understand because their hearts were hardened. And what Mark is saying here is that though the disciples saw the mighty works of Jesus with their eyes, and though they heard the preaching of Jesus with their ears, and though they tasted his provision in their, in their mouths, they could not understand him because their hearts had grown dull towards him. Their hearts were not inclined towards Jesus. And at their core, at the very center of their being, they were yet callous towards the truth of Jesus, who he truly is like hard ground, like a hard path that resists the seed of the sower. The hearts of the disciples resisted Jesus' true identity as the Son of God. And this is a staggering scene in the Gospel of Mark. We have come to expect hostility from the religious leaders. They hate Jesus. We have come to expect ignorance and misunderstanding from Jesus' own family and friends. We have witnessed rejection from Jesus' own hometown. But here are Jesus' own hand-picked men, men called and commissioned to learn him, and they are still ignorant of him. They stand resistant to the very gospel that he preached to them, and they stand resistant to the very Savior who called them by name. So the question for us this morning is, what do we do with this staggering scene? How do we apply these two bleak verses to our own hearts? And Mark is teaching us here. He first teaches that these two verses ought to humble us by teaching the radical sinfulness of humanity. These two verses force us to come to grips with the fact that The Gospel of Mark is not an inspirational self-help story where these 12 men, by their own grit and determination, through their own bravery and shrewd insight, grasp the inner talent, grasp the inner significance of who Jesus is. 
we are driven to reckon that these 12 men are not the stars of the gospel. As Mark tells us the story of Jesus, he is not afraid to report to us unflattering and even sinful details about the disciples. He tells us about the time when, Jesus, when Peter rebuked Jesus. He tells us about the time when the disciples were arguing about who is the greatest. He tells us about the time when, when Jesus tells his disciples to watch and pray, but they fall asleep when Jesus needed them the most. And Mark is making us come to grips that the gospel at its heart is a story of rescue. And Mark recounts all the gritty details, all the failures of the disciples to underscore this great fact. These men need to be rescued. These men are in desperate need of a heart surgery, to have their hard hearts removed and ripped out and then replaced with a new and soft heart of the new covenant. These men are in desperate need to have their their sins forgiven. And as we look upon these verses ourselves this morning, we have to resist the temptation of looking down our noses at these men. How could they have been so hard-hearted? How could they miss out on the plain truth of Jesus? They read Job 9. They had Psalm 77. They read the, the story of the Exodus. How could they miss this fact which is so plain to us? Rather, Mark desires that we would understand our own solidarity with these men. Our, star, our story is no different from the disciples' story. And we must let this knowledge of our own sinfulness humble us. And Mark teaches us this important doctrine. Every true disciple is a disciple who stands in need of rescue. Today, tomorrow, and until we meet Jesus face to face. Every true disciple is a disciple who stands in need of rescue. And Mark teaches us the second thing. Through these two verses, he sounds a sharp and sober warning. We have stated this again and again this morning, but this point cannot be lost on us. These men were with Jesus. These men saw the mighty works of Jesus with their eyes, and they heard the preaching of Jesus with their ears. They participated in Jesus' mission. They preached the gospel. They healed the sick. They cast out demons. They tasted the bread of Jesus. They ate the fish of Jesus. Yet they stood before Jesus with their hearts unmoved, with no inclination towards him. And the fact is very plain. Mark is warning us. We can be very close to the things of God. We can traffic in holy matters. We can be busy in the work of the church, in the works of mercy and justice, but we can still be cold and dull towards Jesus. We can still miss out on the saving significance of who Jesus the Christ is. And Mark is teaching us a profound doctrine here, and it's this. The greatest danger we face in this life is not seas or death or poverty or even persecution. The greatest danger we face is being insensitive, being dull, being callous towards the glory and the beauty of Christ. The greatest danger in this life is not to understand, not to grasp the identity of Jesus and treasure him accordingly. And so as we look into the story, we see the sin and the folly of these men. We cannot miss it. Mark writes in a way that it just, it stands out before us. They're confused because they do not understand 
and they do not understand because their hearts are stubborn and callous towards Jesus. And we have to ask our last question in light of this. What will happen to these men? Will the Lord Jesus finally walk away from these these men? Will the Lord Jesus finally break into an angry tirade with these men? Will the Lord Jesus finally judge these men for their many sins? And these questions become personal for us as well. What will the Lord Jesus Christ do with us this morning? And Mark has taught us we stand in solidarity with these men. If we're honest with ourselves, we don't differ from these men. We're the same. What will the Lord Jesus do with our own misunderstanding, with our own dull hearts? So we've spent much time this morning discerning and dissecting the hearts of these 12 men. But here we have to turn our attention away from the disciples. Here we have to turn our attention away from ourselves. And we have to fix our attention on the Lord Jesus Christ this morning. For if we are to find any comfort for our souls today, if we were to find any salvation for ourselves, we have to turn away from ourselves and look to another person. We have to look to Jesus Christ. And when we closely examine our story this morning, we find precious good news for our souls. Jesus does not forsake his men. He does not, in anger, smash them for their their stupidity. He doesn't respond in irritation. Rather, he comes and he deals patiently with these 12 men. And we have much to learn by the way that Mark tells this story to us. Mark sets this scene in a very particular way. He stresses the fact that Jesus is on the land by himself and that the disciples are out on the sea by themselves. The teacher is on the land and the learners are on the sea separated from Jesus. The Savior is on the land And the disciples, the ones who need to be saved, are out on the sea by themselves. The father is on the land and the children are separated out on the sea by themselves. And what happens with this separation? Well, we only find trouble and futility. Here are the disciples. They're rowing hard against the waves, but they cannot get anywhere. By their own power, they cannot overcome the sea. By their own willpower, they cannot overcome the wind. By their own strength, they cannot cross the sea. But we have to reckon that this scene is not only about boating. The scene also illustrates the futile efforts of the disciples to comprehend the very person of the Lord Jesus. No matter how hard these men try, no matter how many brain cells these men burn, they cannot fathom him in their own strength, in their own power, or according to their own insight. They cannot pierce the saving significance of his person. They are rowing hard, but they are not getting anywhere. And so what do these tired men need? Well, they need their teacher. They need their shepherd. Even more, they need their savior. And when we look at our text, we see the very kind of teacher and shepherd and savior that Jesus is to these men. We learn that Jesus is not a shepherd who forgets about his flock. Jesus' sheep are always upon his mind and his heart. And when Jesus looks looks out on the sea and he sees his disciples rowing hard, not getting anywhere, what does he do? Well, he doesn't stand idly by. He doesn't watch and point and laugh. He comes to their aid. Verse 48 records good news to us. And he saw that they were making headway painfully, and he came to them. 
And as we keep reading the Gospel of Mark, this is what Jesus is going to do again and again and again with his disciples. He sees them making pain, headway painfully, and he will come to them. We also learn that Jesus is not a teacher who is negligent in his duties. Rather, Jesus is a teacher who constantly instructs his disciples. He pulls them near to tutor them in the things of God. Even in the face of misunderstanding and dullness of heart, Jesus, the patient teacher, comes walking upon the water. He comes to pass by them. He comes so that they might get a glimmer of his glory. He comes so that they might taste his divine goodness. He comes so they might get a hint of his saving significance. And as we continue reading the Gospel of Mark, Jesus is always the patient teacher. We will see him again and again and again, drawing his disciples aside and disclosing himself to them. And we learn that Jesus is not a savior who will lose his people. Rather, when Jesus hears the cries and detects the fear of his men, he works to comfort them. He works to calm their raging hearts and subdue their anxious minds. He speaks a word of salvation to these fearful men. He says, take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And so we can ask, well, what will become of these men? Well, they will meet, they will experience the tender grace of their Savior, their shepherd, and their teacher again and again and again. And brothers and sisters in Christ Jesus, what we see in the Word of God this morning, what we see in the Gospel of Mark this morning, is not just a piece of history What is described here are not just some random facts about a man who lived 2,000 years ago. Rather, they describe a living and ruling and active person. They describe our Savior, our teacher, our shepherd. And we have the right this morning, even more, we have the great privilege to take the Jesus we find in the Gospel of Mark and say this, this Jesus is my Jesus. For as the author of Hebrews reminds us, Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The mercy he showed his disciples is the mercy he yet extends to his people today. The compassion he shows to his disciples is yet the compassion he shows us. The tender love that Jesus shows to his disciples is the tender love yet available to us in the gospel. And so we can reason this morning, we can say Jesus Christ is our ever-watching shepherd. He will not delay coming to us. He is our always instructing teacher. He constantly draws us near and discloses himself to us. He is our always near savior. He will not lose any of his disciples. And so we can ask ourselves, what will happen to us in the gospel? And we have the best hope of all for Jesus is our savior. He is our shepherd. He is our teacher. And he preaches to us this morning. He says, take heart. It is I. Do not be afraid. Let's pray. Oh, Father, we do rejoice in the glorious gospel this morning. We confess this morning that we are a stubborn and dull people, but we also confess that we have a glorious Savior, a Savior who is patient and kind and gentle. 
And Father, we ask this morning that you would open up our eyes and give us hearing so that we might behold this Christ that you have laid before us in your word. Give us a joy now, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.